This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read and recorded by Betsy Bush, Marquette, Michigan, December 2005. The Country of the Pointed Furs by Sarah Orne Jewett. Chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 1 The Return. There was something about the coast town of Dunnet which made it seem more attractive than other maritime villages of eastern Maine. Perhaps it was the simple fact of acquaintance with that neighborhood with which it is so attaching, and gave such interest to the rocky shore and dark woods, and the few houses which seemed to be securely wedged and tree-nailed in among the ledges by the landing. These houses made the most of their seaward view, and there was a gaiety and determined floweriness in their bits of garden ground. The small-paned high windows in the peaks of their steep gables were like knowing eyes that watched the harbor and the far sea-line beyond, or looked northward all along the shore, its background of spruces and balsam firs. When one really knows a village like this and its surroundings, it is like becoming acquainted with a single person. The process of falling in love at first sight is as final as it is swift in such a case, but the growth of true friendship may be a lifelong affair. After a first brief visit made two or three summers before, in the course of a yachting cruise, a lover of Dunnet Landing returned to find the unchanged shores of the pointed firs, the same quaintness of the village with its elaborate conventionalities, all that mixture of remoteness and childish certainty of being the center of civilization of which her affectionate dreams had told. One evening in June a single passenger landed upon the steamboat wharf. The tide was high, there was a fine crowd of spectators, and the younger portion of the company followed her with subdued excitement up the narrow street of the salt-aired, white-clapboarded little town. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 Mrs. Todd Later there was only one fault to find with this choice of a summer lodging place, and that was its complete lack of seclusion. At first, the tiny house of Mrs. Elmira Todd, which stood with its end to the street, appeared to be retired and sheltered enough from the busy world, behind its bushy bit of a green garden, in which all the blooming things, two or three gay hollyhocks and some London pride, were pushed back against the grey-shingled wall. It was a queer little garden, and puzzling to a stranger, the few flowers being put at a disadvantage by so much greenery. But the discovery was soon made that Mrs. Todd was an ardent lover of herbs, both wild and tame, and the sea breezes blew into the low end window of the house, laden with not only sweet briar and sweet mary, but balm and sage and borage and mint, wormwood and southernwood. If Mrs. Todd had occasion to step into the far corner of her herb plot, she trod heavily upon thyme, and made its fragrant presence known with all the rest. Being a very large person, her full skirts brushed and bent almost every slender stalk that her feet missed. You could always tell when she was stepping about there, even when you were half awake in the morning, and learned to know, in the course of a few weeks' experience, in exactly which corner of the garden she might be. At one side of this herb plot were other growths of a rustic pharmacopoeia, other treasures and rarities among the commoner herbs. Some of these might once have belonged to sacred and mystic rites, 
and have some occult knowledge handed with them down the centuries. But now they pertained only to humble compounds brewed at intervals with molasses or vinegar or spirits and a small cauldron on Mrs. Todd's kitchen stove. They were dispensed to suffering neighbors who usually came at night as if by stealth, bringing their own ancient-looking vials to be filled. One nostrum was called the Indian Remedy, and its price was but fifteen cents. The whispered directions could be heard as customers passed the windows. With most remedies, the purchaser was allowed to depart unadmonished from the kitchen, Mrs. Todd being a wise saver of steps, but with certain vials she gave cautions standing in the doorway, and there were other doses which had to be accompanied on their healing way as far as the gate, while she muttered long chapters of directions and kept up an air of secrecy and importance to the last. It may not have been only the common aids of humanity with which she tried to cope. It seemed sometimes as if love and hate and jealousy and adverse winds at sea might also find their proper remedies among the curious, wild-looking plants in Mrs. Todd's garden. The village doctor and this learned herbalist were upon the best of terms. The good man may have counted upon the unfavorable effect of certain potions, which he could find his opportunity in counteracting. At any rate, he now and then stopped and exchanged greetings with Mrs. Todd over the picket fence. The conversation became at once professional after the briefest preliminaries, and he would stand twirling a sweet-scented sprig in his fingers, and make suggestive jokes, perhaps about her faith in a too persistent course of thoroughwort elixir, in which my landlady professed such firm belief as sometimes to endanger the life and usefulness of worthy neighbors. To arrive at this quietest of seaside villages late in June, when the busy herb-gathering season was just beginning, was also to arrive in the early prime of Mrs. Todd's activity in the brewing of old-fashioned spruce beer. This cooling and refreshing drink had been brought to wonderful perfection through a long series of experiments. It had won immense local fame, and the supplies for its manufacture were always giving out and having to be replenished. For various reasons, the seclusion and uninterrupted days which had been looked forward to proved to be very rare in this otherwise delightful corner of the world. My hostess and I had made our shrewd business agreement on the basis of a simple cold luncheon at noon, and liberal restitution in the matter of hot suppers, to provide for which the lodger might sometimes be seen hurrying down the road, late in the day, with cunner line in hand. It was soon found that this arrangement made large allowance for Mrs. Todd's slow herb-gathering progresses through woods and pastures. The spruce-beer customers were pretty steady in hot weather, and there were many demands for different soothing syrups and elixirs with which the unwise curiosity of my early residence had made me acquainted. Knowing Mrs. Todd to be a widow, who had little besides the slender business and the income from one hungry lodger to maintain her, one's energies and even interest were quickly bestowed, until it became a matter of course that she should go afield every pleasant day, and that the lodger should answer all peremptory knocks at the side door. In taking an occasional wisdom-giving stroll in Mrs. Todd's company, and in acting as business partner during her frequent absences, I found the July days fly fast, and it was not until I felt myself comforted from too great pride and pleasure in the display one night of two dollars and twenty-seven cents which I had taken in during the day that I remembered a long piece of writing, sadly belated now, which I was bound to do. To have been patted kindly on the shoulder and called Darlin', 
to have been offered a surprise of early mushrooms for supper, to have had all the glory of making two dollars and twenty-seven cents in a single day, and then to renounce it all and withdraw from these pleasant successes, needed much resolution. Literary employments are so vexed with uncertainties at best, and it was not until the voice of conscience sounded louder in my ears than the sea on the nearest pebble beach that I said unkind words of withdrawal to Mrs. Todd. She only became more wistfully affectionate than ever in her expressions, and looked as disappointed as I expected when I frankly told her that I could no longer enjoy the pleasure of what we called seeing folks. I felt that I was cruel to a whole neighborhood in curtailing her liberty in this most important season for harvesting the different wild herbs that were so much counted upon to ease their winter ales. "'Well, dear,' she said sorrowfully, "'I've took great advantage of your being here. I ain't had such a season for years.' "'but I have never had nobody I could so trust. "'All you lack is a few qualities, "'but with time you'd gain judgment and experience "'and be very able in the business. "'I'd stand right here and say it to anybody.' "'Mrs. Todd and I were not separated or estranged "'by the change in our business relations. "'On the contrary, a deeper intimacy seemed to begin.' I do not know what herb of the night it was that used sometimes to send out a penetrating odor late in the evening, after the dew had fallen, and the moon was high, and the cool air came up from the sea. Then Mrs. Todd would feel that she must talk to somebody, and I was only too glad to listen. We both fell under the spell, and she either stood outside the window, or made an errand to my sitting-room, and told, it might be very commonplace news of the day, or, as happened one misty summer night, all that lay deepest in her heart. It was in this way that I came to know that she had loved one who was far above her. "'No, dear, him I speak of could never think of me,' she said. "'When we was young together his mother didn't favor the match, and done everything she could to part us. And folks thought we both married well, but wasn't what either one of us wanted most, and now we're left alone again.' and might have had each other all the time. He was above being a seafaring man, and prospered more than most. He came of a high family, and my lot was plain and hard-working. I ain't seen him for some years. He's forgot our youthful feelings, I expect. But a woman's heart is different. Them feelings comes back when you think you've done with them, as sure as spring comes with a year. "'and I've always had ways of hearing about him.' "'She stood in the center of a braided rug, "'and its rings of black and gray "'seemed to circle about her feet in the dim light. "'Her height and massiveness in the low room "'gave her the look of a huge sibyl, "'while the strange fragrance of the mysterious herb "'blew in from the little garden.' "'End of chapter 2.'